Welcome to Conversation Picks. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. In episode 30, I spoke with Masters Phenom and Coach Heather Knight Pack. Heather recently got a lot of attention after running 127 for a half marathon at age 58. Her recent 10K PR of 38.56 actually scores a higher VDOT at 53.6. That misses Jack Daniels level 10 by just two tenths. To give you some context, a prime aged female runner would need to run 30-30 for 10K to reach Jack's level 10. Remarkably, in the past year, Heather has PR'd at almost every distance she's raced, from the 400 meters up to the marathon. This is not surprising when you hear about her outlook and perspective on life during the pandemic. She's forging ahead. Her next goals are to break three hours in the marathon and set new age and division world records. While she's raising the bar for masters athletes across the world, she's also transferring her experience and knowledge as a coach from McCurdy Train on V.02. In this episode, we discuss quarantine as an opportunity, training without racing and with more intention, getting into running in a professional career, how she balances and manages such an intense training schedule, and coaching and nutrition. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Heather, welcome to the show. We appreciate you taking some time to join us. Oh, Brian, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And you're currently in Darien, Connecticut, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And how are, you, how are you and the family holding up? How's it How's it going? Well, um, we're holding up. Um, it's been tough as it's been for everybody. I, I feel like we're all in the same storm, but we've got our own boats. Um, <laughs> everybody has a, you know, a, a different story. My husband um, is a dentist locally and he had to shut down for a period of time in the spring on, um, you know, he's now open again. Um, it's been difficult for us to come together as a family. I have three daughters in their twenties um, and um, basically been, you know, pretty much locked down since February. And the kids are in college now? Um, yeah, they're really, they're, my youngest is just out of college. So they're, um, you know, they're adulting, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take some some notes here before I get into that. I've got a long way to go though, but you can, I'm sure you could teach me a lot. Well, I'll just, I'll say one thing to you. Don't blink, Brian. <laughs> it's, um, they're adulting before you know it. I thought I saw on social media that did, did you have a son that went to Vermont to run or was that is that someone in the family or was that your child or no? No, no. Okay, So I got that totally wrong. Was that an athlete of yours that you coached? Maybe it might have been. It might okay. have been. And my sister, who has young boys, lives in Vermont and one of her boys does run. So it might have been my nephew. Not sure. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I feel like. I, I start all these episodes off with with COVID and the pandemic, and I know everyone's kind of has COVID fatigue, and rightfully so. It's been a long time, um, but I love the way that you've kind of framed it as an opportunity. Um, you have this positive spin to it. You've talked about running must go on, and this is sort of an opportunity. Um, so talk a little bit about that, because I think that's a great way to look at it. Well, I think, um, you know, it's a little bit, you know, how I approach life. Um, and, um, you know, the pandemic has been really, really, you know, challenging for, as I said, everyone. Um, it's been particularly challenging for, you know, some of my athletes. Um, and it is hard to, to find the motivation on um, to train without races. Um, it's hard to find the time with, um, you know, trying to raise a family who is now home. And, you know, in the case of, you know, the, the women I work with, but even the men, you know, they're now, you know, teacher and, um, gym teacher and hall monitor and, um, short order cook. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, all of these things um, and, you know, they've sort of lost a block of time where, you know, they might have, you know, either they, you know, were going to, you know, an office and, and you know, might have some time before they took the commute home or they their children went to school and, 
Um, so now it's just different. Um, but I look at the pandemic and I see, you know, even over the holidays that were, you know, obviously very different for all of us than, than they've been in the past, um, where I think we've been given a gift of, of time to slow down. I, I do believe that you, we've all recognized the importance of our health. Uh, and in that, our fitness um, is, you know, is obviously a very strong grounding point in health and wellness. I think the the importance of our friends and our family's health. Um, I think we've learned the importance of money and savings um, and mm. stuff maybe matters a little less. I, I, I think we've gotten I think we're talking more. Um, maybe we're not seeing each other as much, but the connectivity, you know, given mm. the technology of Zoom and, you know, FaceTime and the quality of some of those conversations, because we're not in person, Brian, and we crave it. That's mm. who we are as human beings. And I think I know for myself, the meaning, the, the, the dialogues have gotten more meaningful. Um, and Absolutely. I think we've spent more time engaging in each other's lives on a more meaningful level, maybe listening a little bit more because, you know, that's the skill set that we're left with because we're not in person. Have you seen in your athletes like slow down? I take to heart because I look back in April when, you know, the shit really hit the fan. And I kind of laughed at one point because I was like, yeah, I've, we've made ourselves busier i'm speaking you know from a business perspective like we we kind of just got on edge i think right and and got very anxious about what was going to happen you know the industry has just paused and for how long and you know oh this is bad you know and um we kind of made ourselves more busy instead of taking that time to pause and reflect and slow down as you said have you seen in your athletes like that has been a struggle for people to look at it that way? And, um, or do you feel like many have taken that to heart? Well, I think the hard part, Brian, is, you know, as I said earlier, is that we now um, are, you know, particularly people with young families um, yeah. and, and, you know, work while they, the technology in the last 10 years um, and, you know, certainly in the last eight years since I've retired has advanced to such a degree that, we're, that we've been working 24-7. But yeah. I, think it, I think the pandemic took it to another level where um, I, I think you're hitting on something. We're, we're, we, it's very hard to walk away from work. It's with you always. Um and now it's literally in our home. Um, and um, and as I said, and if you have small children, they're also in your home. I mean, very few people even have kids back in school full time um, and certainly didn't have kids in school in the spring. But even even, you know, through up until now in my area, there's a lot of, you know, extended remote, a hybrid, um, a partial, you know, a partial yeah. where there's, you know, a half day or, a, you know, Fridays, there's no, there's, well, there's no in-person school. Um, so I think that, yes, you hit on something that makes it a challenge for sure. Yeah. And it's just from viewing from afar, it seems like athletically you've, you've progressed right during the pandemic it seems like i i read something about you know the pan the quarantine was an opportunity to do something maybe you haven't taken the time to do otherwise or maybe you said something along those lines and and i'm looking at it for you is that doing some shorter races or maybe training differently or approaching training differently because it seems like from what i gather you've pretty much improved right across the board right setting prs during the pandemic yeah, uh, there is, I, you know, Brian, um, if you look at what's happened, you know, even on a professional level, yeah. uh, it's, I think, 
I've always had the mind. It did to answer your question. Yes, it's changed how I've looked at my training on, you know, with my coach, um, and and what I'm doing on, and I can speak. I can speak to that in a second. But I think I always felt quite strongly that since I've retired and I sort of took on running more seriously to be strategic and not to race all the time. So Hmm. it's a common mistake. I think that runners, particularly aging runners make. Um, And I think peak performance comes from smart training and recovery. So I've, I've always felt that way, but COVID to bring it back to your question on it gave me in particular, and I think if you look across the board with all the records that are being broken and so forth, I think it's given a lot of people the opportunity to train on perhaps with more intention or also to train into both strengths and weaknesses at a higher level than perhaps they were able to do before. And in my case, it enabled me to take a step away from you know years of marathon training and mm. do some other things that I maybe might not have taken the time or had the time to do. So during, so pre COVID, it's sort of, I, I see this a lot with athletes. It's sort of the trap of just chasing the next race, right? It's like, well, Boston's coming up or New York's coming up and you you get stuck in that cycle and it's hard to get out of. Is is that true? Is that sort of along the lines of what, you know, the lack of racing sort of freed you up? And did you have conversations with James where it was like, hey, there, let's, let's train for shorter races. It's going to help you in the future. And it's hard to do that while you're always training for a marathon, you know? Yes, 100%. Um, we, particularly in the endurance and in the marathon world, we, um, we can get a little, you know, excuse me for the, I'm not even plodding along um, <laughs> in marathon cycle after marathon cycle. Um, and I don't mean to suggest certainly in my case that, that my marathon pace is slow or plodding, but I think you know what I mean. Um, and we, we just, um, you know, I never raced more than one or two a year pre COVID. Um, but I think that what happens is those cycles, if you're taking recovery seriously and then, you know, base building and then, you know, getting into the specific marathon build, uh, it takes a, a, a length of time and then you turn around and you almost really are starting to do it again. So COVID gave me the opportunity to step back when Boston was canceled. And, you know, James suggested that I try and do what I had some of my athletes doing, which was this McCurdy Miles series. Mm. And at first I said, Mm-mm, nope. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, and, um, you know, then I decided to, you know, um, take a risk, sort of be willing to change things up um, and um, and work on that top speed a little bit. Um, and I can't it, it was not successful, Brian. Um, I actually failed my workouts for almost two months. Mm. Um, and, um, I don't write a lot in V dot to, to my coach, uh, to James. Yeah. Um, but I did after about three or four of these colossal failures, I just wrote, just keep giving them to me. <laughs> um, and I just, um, I just kept showing up for the work and the work, um, like it always does, <laughs> Um, starts to build on, on, you know, you start to lay those bricks and they start to build on one another. Um, and, um, you know, it's, um, I will still say it, it was, it was very painful. Um, running a mile hurts. Um, and, um, I never really did what I wanted to do, but it, um, I did well enough and it, um, it, it took us into, then what we did was more of a 5k, which I'd never really done. And I spent years sort of sitting, you know, running hmm. 20, 2012, 2016, 20, you know, 11, um, yeah. years on um, doing that on, um, and, um, 
then I went 1926 and then I went 1902. Um, so, um, you know, you, you carry the strength and the power from these, um, you know, particularly from these shorter, yeah. um, you know, speed blocks um, into, you know, and then ultimately, you know, my 10K PR and then um, into my half marathon. So you do, you carry it forward. Um, and I, I feel like that was just a gift I was given to be able to do that. I wouldn't have done that. I would have gone from Boston, you know, into yeah. a marathon. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into when you talked about just keep, you know, giving me more that like where the grit determination comes from in your professional career. Um, I, I do also want to note the 38, I was playing around on the VDOT calculator, of course, the 385610K, that seems that it actually scores a little bit better than your 127, um, 24 half. It equates to a sub three marathon and also about an 1847 5K. Do you feel like, without knowing that, did you feel like that 10K was your best overall performance or no? I felt incredibly fit <laughs> at the time that I ran that and workouts suggested, hmm. and I can talk about what I think happened in that half marathon, but, um, yeah. I, I, this fall, including up to and into November and December. So even post that half, um, there is no question given my workouts that I have never been fitter. And I, I, I felt that not just physically in my running, but mentally, mm -hmm. uh, I had, you know, a confidence that I really could run fast. And I, I, I know people think my marathon time is fast, but I just, I never thought I, I was fast, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with masters runners that are competing at such a high level, um, I'm always curious when they got into running. So talk a little bit. I just want to step back for a moment. When did you really get into running and, and then how serious did it become and how quickly? Um, I ran very haphazardly off and on. Um, you know, I might run for three weeks and then not run for, you know, two months. I might run for three months and then not run for six months. Um, but I was an athlete and I come from a very, athletic and competitive family. Um, running started, my, my father was a runner among other sports. Um, he was a very good athlete. Um, uh, passed away in 2003 run while running. Uh, okay. uh, and he was, he was young. He was 60 years old um, and incredibly fit and, and so forth. Um, so the, my running began, Brian, from that day. Um, and I've really not stopped running since, um, as a way to, at first, I think it was a way to cope, um, with, with something that was just, um, I just couldn't come to grips with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, then it became a way to connect with him. Um, and, um, you know, I say often to people who lose someone that's incredibly close to them um, that you need to find them. And I that yeah, this is me. I, I believe you can. And it's it's I'm not going to suggest that it's the same. Um, but um, I have an ongoing relationship with my father while it's it's obviously very different and not, you know, present here um, in that sense. Um but running gave me that. So that's the beginning of my running. I was still working. So on, you were 40, Heather, sorry, you were roughly 41 or in yep. your early 40s? Yep. I had oh. just turned 41. And no, so no high school, no college running. I ran in high school cross country completely unsuccessfully two years. Nothing. Wow. Um, I really had not run. I mean, I ran in my thirties off and on, as I said, you know, with, yeah. you know, between pregnancies more for, 
I'm just health and quick physical. I I was working, I had a very high powered career. I was traveling 50% of the time and periodically running fit in. I had a Stairmaster in my bedroom back in those days and whatever, just, I was sort of grabbing whatever I could just to, just to, you know, bounce back from having babies. Um, and, um, but I come from a ski racing family. So that, that, was our background. I was a multi-sport athlete. Actually, all of us were. Um, and I could talk about that for a long time and why I think that's important, but I won't do that now. Um, and at some point in 2008 and 2009 or 2008, I decided that I wanted to run a marathon and the anniversary of my father, the 25th anniversary of my father's running of New York City marathon was 2009. So um, I started training for that. And I had um, I, my, my, the back of my heel dropped into a pothole up in Vermont on mm. a run the third week of September. And I tore, I ripped my gastrocnemius in three places. I was, I dropped to my knees. I, I, I couldn't walk. Um, so I didn't run again. Um, I was in physical therapy and, and so forth until uh, three or four days before the New York City Marathon, in, you know, which we all know is roughly November 1st. Um, so I never really had a run that was longer than, you know, in September, I might've been at 14 or 15 miles. Um, and I went, um, I ran that race. Um, I was, I, I would have crawled. I was going to run that race. The first doctor I saw told me I wouldn't run. I, I, you know, went around and around and around to find a physical therapist and a doctor who would tell me that I would run. And, um, I ran that marathon and I ran a 358. Um, I qualified for Boston. Brian, I had no idea what that was. People were telling me and I, I just was so dumbfounded that I had completed 26.2. I can still remember the feeling. I can, I can taste it that, um, I don't think I'd ever been prouder of myself in my life. Wow. Um, for just completing it coming, you know, through that injury and, um, and, um, so forth. So, um, I didn't run a marathon again until 2011. I ran Boston that I finished in a roughly a 325. I'm going off the top of my head. I think my next marathon was at a 325. So the reason, the only reason I sort of highlight that is because I don't either on paper, I've gone from 358 to 300. I think my my fitness and you know my my athletic ability is was probably a sub 330 from the get-go. I just ran that first one injured. Okay. Did you realize in that first buildup at any point like, hey, this is I'm actually pretty good or I'm I, I want to shoot for this time? Like did did it start to come together in that way or was it just always about completing it and kind of sharing that. Um, it was it, that first yeah. one was completing and sharing. Yeah. I just, I was, well, I was one and done Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, I think is, is common. Um, or at least the, the peop, many people I talked to, I was, I was one and done. It was kind of a bucket list. It was a way to connect with my dad. It was, you know, as I said, it was the anniversary. I would have, you know, I would have walked and crawled it. I was going to, I was going to do it no matter what. Um, but um, once I got to Boston, gosh, Boston, um, I was hooked. <laughs> right. That so that was it. Once yeah. You, okay. Yeah. And yeah. from from there it progressed. But um, I'm interested. Was your dad in in business too? I mean, you went on to become. Correct me if I'm I'm wrong. Um, CEO of of a few pretty big companies, right? Yes. Um, yeah, my father was it had a very successful, high-powered um, career. I, I come from a family, as I said, a very um, Type A driven. Um, three siblings on the U.S. ski team, mm-hmm. uh, um, focused, um, bright, um, tenacious um, group of people. And did so a lot of those traits were already there. I was I was trying to 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 become a CEO and then you're just a lot of 
you were able to apply a lot of that, obviously, to your running career. You, I know you mentioned something about always studying and looking for like that edge. And that sounds like that's, that's pretty constant for you. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I think it's a good skill set um, for mm-hmm. life um, to be a lifelong learner. Um, you know, in my career, I, I wasn't afraid to hire people that were smarter. Um, and, um, hmm. you know, actually lift, you know, the division or the company or, and, and myself up through doing that. Um, and I, you know, I find that part of what I love about running. I say, find people that are faster and hold on tight, um, you know, surround yourself with, um, and, and, and learn and grow and push, um, and don't be afraid of that. That's great. So what coming out of Boston then, so st- um, getting back to this progression, um, what does training look early on? I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I thought I read something along the lines of 80 miles per week. I don't know if that's just a peak or if that was a one-time thing or if that's pretty consistent. So talk a little bit about how training progressed from what was what still early forties to, to mid forties we're talking, um, to now. Um, my, well, when I, so I retired in 2012 and I would tell you that that's probably, it is when my running became more than a hobby. Um, and I trained myself, I coached myself and trained myself on up into fall of 2018, um, successfully. I, mm-hmm. I won my first age division at Boston in 2017 and won again in 18. So all self-coached. So I, I can't say I wasn't doing a good job with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where did, Heather, where did the knowledge come from? Was it just trial and error or just you doing your own research and, and homework and just doing it by feel or did it come from a more specific guidance influences whether locally or just online or how did it how did you start to train yourself like what was your baseline um i read a lot um mm-hmm. and influencers would have been ladard um mm-hmm. jack daniels um mark wetmore um Ben Rosario, mm-hmm. um, just to name a few. Sure. Um, yeah. And um, pulled a lot, um, you know, originally a lot from Lidard, um, it, as to, you know, what I was doing. So early on, I um, felt um, the importance of, of base building, of, you know, hill work, um, of, um you know, a, a mix of stimuli, um, you know, within within endurance training. So, you know, fartlek work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I, you know, long uh, tempo or, you know, tempo is a sort of misleading word. But, you know, I, I would run, you know, pretty hefty chunks um, at marathon pace. Um, and um, so I do believe in in racing. Um, I mean, in training, I should say, you know, distance and pace and really being very comfortable and familiar with what that is. Um, and I also am a student of courses. Um, I've, I've spent hours on that course in Boston, hours, hours, hundreds of hours, um, possibly thousands. Um, I go up and run there. All three of my daughters went to school in Boston. Okay. Um, so I go up and I train there, you know, a lot on different segments of the course. Um, and um, so that's sort of where, you know, my early, you know, um, you know, where I was pulling, where my influence yeah. was coming from. Um, what about injuries? So now, so you retired eight years ago. So that puts you at what, roughly 50. Yep. Um, and and now that you're really starting to escalate and, and ramp up to more running, did you battle injuries or no? You've been pretty, pretty consistent. 
I was I was okay for a while. Um, yeah. And then I was sort of into a routine, if you will, of um, nothing. You know, as I my gas, the, the gastrocnemius was serious, and but obviously there was a reason it happened. Yeah. Uh, the the rest were on um, not taking recovery seriously enough. I'm um, not on. Um, taking nutrition seriously enough um, and um, running a little too much in the gray zone and running too much volume. When, when James got a hold of me, I was, I was averaging 4,800 miles a year. I was 56 years old. Okay. Wow. So I, while I think that a lot of that base and miles on um, you know, were, you know, running rewards consistency. And I think that, that the volume, it, it obviously built a foundation for sure for me. Um, but I'm running significantly less now. I run 70 to 80 mile weeks. I, I might get to 85 in, you know, peak marathon training. Um, yeah. I'm more average around 70. That's a pretty significant change. You know, that's 30 miles less a week on average. So I, I was calculating while you were talking. So that you that volume was roughly ninety five a week. Does yep. that sound right? No. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So um, I so I so I spent sixteen, seventeen, eighteen um, sort of in a cycle of my what I call minor injury. You know, um. Crankies, if you will, nigglies, shut, you know, shutting myself down here and there. Um, certainly in 18, I had, you know, a hamstring that was becoming somewhat problematic, which, um, you know, we can talk about that was that was my next major. So that shut me down for three months in 18. Um, so I the stuff was going on and, and weaknesses within sort of my posterior chain were becoming on. Um, obvious um although mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily totally want to see it um but um that resulted in as i said a, a pretty significant hamstring injury in the late fall of 18. so yeah um so to answer your question yes i was having i was struggling you know for two to three i for a couple of years i was fine and mm -hmm. then i you know i i, mm -hmm. I wasn't fine and um you know, I, I try to listen to my body and um, I've gotten significantly better at it as <laughs> I've gotten older and wiser. Um, and I've made a lot of changes um, in in what I'm doing um, with James's help and also just on, you know, just on my own. Um, and, um, you know, I would tell you strength and mobility um dynamics, drills, um, striders, um, uh, but mostly strength is a, is a significant part of my routine. Now, um, I take recovery very seriously. Um, and I still believe you can build aerobic capacity for years. If you're smart, um, I no longer run in a gray zone at all. I'm not trying to, you know, crush or kill a workout. I'm not trying to run fast on my easy days. Mm -hmm. Um, Easy is easy, hard is hard. AF, um, and um, and nutrition, um, and and prehab, I think, is another important um part. And I don't know whether you want to pull apart any of that. And and having yeah, we'd love to break that down, team, Brian. A team of people. Mm. I think it's really um. I think all runners should do it. And I'm not going to say it doesn't cost money and it doesn't take time. And I have the gift of time because I'm retired, but right. I think we make choices. And I think if running is important to you, and I think specifically if you're older, that you need a team um, of people that understand you and your goals, your lifestyle, your training history, and can help you get to the next level. And some of that is as simple as being a partner with your local running specialty store and taking care of your feet. Um, right. 
And, um, you know, obviously, as I said, you know, physical therapy and, you know, when I'm not injured, I'm still in prehab. I still see him on Kevin Coda at performance take, you know, we see each other once every 10 days and, you know, look at, you know, and prod around on how I'm feeling and imbalances and, um, you know, talk about what I'm doing, you know, with my strength and, and with my mobility and where I'm tight. Um, and, um, you know, when did, that's, you, when did you implement that routine? So this is once every 10 days on average, regardless of whether you feel good or not. So you're yeah. in there, even if you feel great, it's just yep. sort of a, a checkup. And, um, when did you start doing that? Just curious. I started doing all of that, you, you know, building a team, clinical massage. I, and as I said, I did, I was in physical therapy if I was hurt. I was, you know, in, yeah. I, I, I had a massage the week before the marathon and a week after. <laughs> but right. now it's routine um, and it's part of my routine. And that came off of my hamstring in 2018. And I just said, you know what? Um these are the things I need to invest in if I want to yeah. chase these biggie, big, hairy, audacious goals. As I, as I, as I chat about, if I don't take care of myself, I can't ask my body to do what I'm asking it to do. I, I asked because I remember when I left um, Zap Fitness and I moved to New York and I was still kind of running. You know, I had a young, younger body and still felt like I hadn't finished um improving at my peak at that time and uh i remember doing a trade with like a chiropractor who was doing active release and i was sending him some people as i was starting to coach and he's like just come in once a week and we'll just i'll work on you and um we'll just you know poke around like he said i'm gonna poke around and um you know try and clean you up and and i remember when i got into that routine that i i was frustrating because I wasn't in a position. I, I had lost my coach. I didn't have a group. I was in New York City. I was feeling the pressure of like needing to get a job. And now this guy's working on me once a week and I had never felt better in my life. <laughs> I, I felt like I could run as hard as I could almost every day. And I was just recovered so quickly. Mm -hmm. And at first I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like, I'm like, it's not the air. I just moved from the mountains, you know, I'm in the city and, um, and I'm living in the West village. Like this isn't uh, like, this isn't prime training conditions. And, uh, but I, I always trace it back to, um, obviously not everyone has the time, not everyone has the resources or the money to be able to do something like that. But Man, I'll never forget that. So it, it sounds like I cannot, um, you know, encourage people enough to, if they can do it, they got, you got to be in there, not when you're injured, right? If, um, you got to be doing it all the time. So it's great to hear that. So the, the interesting thing about injury is, um, well, first of all, it comes with that athletes will, um, and we want to minimize. Um, so injury almost always is a deficit in mobility and strength, and it presents itself long before pain sets in. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you can get rid of these weak links, um, uh, you, you can build yourself to be a better athlete period Um, and somebody who knows what they're doing can often find, you know, sometimes I think my right IT band is, and it's really my left piriformis that is, you know, yeah. so again, I can't emphasize and I recognize it is time and resources um, and not everybody has that. Um, but again, we make choices. So, you know, maybe you don't do all of the things, you know, that, that I, that I might do, but maybe you pick some of them. I just, I, it's a, it's an incredibly great investment. 82% of runners are going to get injured. That means 82% of my athletes are going to be injured. Yeah. So how, and, and the way to be a better runner is to run more. So we, <laughs> so not having those breaks on, um, you know, that are predetermined by injury, um, it can be incredibly beneficial to, um, you know, running stronger, fitter, faster times. 
What about nutrition? So I, I had Dan King on. I don't know if you know Dan. He's, I believe he's early 60s. He, he set a national record. It was a world record time, but I don't think they certified it in the mile. Um, I think he, he was just under 450. Just in, incredible times for, for 61. Um, he's vegan. And he talked a lot about his diet. Um, so I'm just curious, anything special? Is it just that you're, you watch carefully what you eat? I know you did a post recently about not enough calories. I wanted to ask if that's something that you're seeing in your athletes in terms of mistake or a common mistake that you often see when working with athletes. But first talk a little bit about your nutrition. Is there anything that someone, um, you know, what are the big takeaways, um, and your routine and how you approach it? Um, I, I think it's a, uh, an emblematic problem in our, in our culture of, um, not eating enough calories. So I will say that, and I do see it everywhere. Mm. Um, not just in, in women, in men as well. Um, I, to me, I, I listened to your conversation with Dan, and I don't know him. I, I would love to meet him. Um, he's extraordinary. Um, eat real food, single ingredient, locally sourced and organic if possible. Hmm. Eat a lot of it often. And I, tr- I say that like that because I sort of tried to simplify, particularly for my, my young runners, um, the importance and, and to kind of simplify it into just eat real food, get out of a bag in a box largely, um, and, um, and eat often and, and, and eat a lot. If you're, if you're running, certainly if you're running the kind of mileage I am, but I mean, I eat 3000 calories a day, I'm 110 pounds, um, eat, um, fuel, fuel to, um, Fuel to train, fuel to perform, fuel to recover. Um, you know, this is, it's really to me the single most important piece of the puzzle. And it's, it's where a lot of people are, are, are wrong. Um, you know, as it, as it, as it relates to racing, that's more train your gut. And, you know, I can certainly, you know, talk about that. Um, and I, I struggled for a long time. And I think that that's, uh, the single probably largest component to what happened with my result at Indy was I was able to get in 750 calories during that race. I'd never gotten in maybe more than 250 before. Um, I've started working with UCAN, which has been a game changer for me um, in just um, being able to get a steady stream of energy to fuel you know, my workouts, but also I'm, I'm recovering better and faster. I'm burning fat more efficiently. Um, but I just, you know, so many runners, Brian, you know, their excuses. Well, you know, I can't run. And, you know, if I eat at my stomach, gets upset. <laughs> if, if I'm running at five o'clock in the morning, I can't, you know, because it does take 60 to 120 minutes to digest. And, and again, you know, what works for Dan and what works for me doesn't work for everybody. So anybody yeah. listening to this, we're all, you know, our biomechanics are different. Our bodies are different. Our digestive systems are different. Um, and um, the, the, the thing you need to understand is you need to, you, you need to train yourself and you cannot run on empty. I mean, it's as simple as a, you know, gas in a car. I really hate to go that simplistic, but it really is. So people go out um, because they think they can't whether it is, you know, an, an illusion that they can't run with food in their stomach or whether it is a timing thing and they don't want to get up at three in the morning to, to digest the food. Um, so that's where, you know, something like a, you can comes in really well because, you know, you can drink 30 minutes before while you're still in the bathroom, drink, you know, um, you know, some super starch and you've got, you know, some calories and some energy and fuel to take you through that run as it relates to early mornings. But, you know, I have a bowl of oatmeal with almond butter and um, I actually put some super starch into my oatmeal. Um, but I have the luxury of going to run, you know, when I want. So I yeah. don't have to run at five in the morning. Um, but um, it's it's just and race day. People don't understand 
that first of all, they work in miles, not time. Your body doesn't know miles. Right. <laughs> so, that's the first thing I'm going to tell you. Um, and, um, you know, if you think about the fact that, you know, somebody like Kipchoge is running, you know, an hour and 59 minutes and, you know, taking in, I don't know, 600 or 650 calories that, you know, the, the, the guy weighs 110 pounds soaking wet. We're all doing it wrong. Um, he, I, I talked to the CEO, Martin and Kipchoge, Kipchoge, excuse me, Kipchoge took six. He took six packets during that's, that one. That's extraordinary. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about that, and the reason I say it and, and good for you, Brian, to, you know, to, to give clarity to that is because yeah. I think it really, um, the, you, you, I think people can grab onto that because he is a, he's a, a tiny man. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, but again, it's time. But the other factor in racing is and another place people go really wrong is they don't take the calories First of all, they're not, I don't think carb loading, you know, preloading properly. Like I take a, I take a gel or I take a super starcher, you know, whatever, you know, 15 minutes before I tow the line. So, you know, in addition to eating and carb and doing all this stuff three, four days in and breakfast and so forth. So you want to top off the glycogen storages, but you need to start taking those calories in early. Yeah. And that's another place, you know, where I find over and over again, people I, you know, I talk to my athletes aren't making those mistakes anymore, but the calorie intake starts too late in the race. Yeah, totally. And uh, in the training too, like some of those long workouts, I, I try and tell people like, you're not going to recover, like your next few days aren't going to be as good. You know, if you're trying to, if you're under fueling on some of these key long sessions, you know, in terms of. Don't put yourself into debt. Um, It's so it's hard to get that across. Do you feel like I mean, the big key, I think you said it was like, look at it as nutrition for performance. And um, I don't know, is it just like sort of the diet culture where I guess everyone's default is almost like I'm going to eat as, you know, so I can stay as light as possible. That's the preferred. And when you do that, that's when you're. That's when you get into trouble, right? You're not it's getting dangerous. You can be faster for, you know, six months and then you won't yeah. be. <laughs> right. Then you simply won't be. Um, but I think also, you know, circling back to almost COVID, you know, my my local running store, um, Ridgefield Running Company, um, is um, you know, they they the race is canceled and she stopped selling literally, or people stopped buying. She didn't stop selling. So let me correct myself. People stopped buying on fuel. And I thought, I thought that was so, first of all, I thought it was so stupid, Brian, but then I thought it was really interesting that people, this is, you know, one of the top running stores in the country that she has a base of people that are highly educated know what they're doing on um, customer services, you know, is second to none as far as I'm concerned. So she's, you know, not only are they smart, she, she and her staff are educating them. And the fact that people didn't understand to fuel for training, to, <laughs> to fuel for light, like that, that would just all of a sudden go from, you know, 100 to zero, um, really surprised me. Um, but I think it comes back to I don't think I think this is a piece of the puzzle where people go are go wrong. Yeah. And what about Heather? What about we've talked about strength, nutrition, um, you know, getting in to get worked on before, you know, you get injured in terms of looking at as maintenance to recover faster to you talked about support group, coach, training groups, friends, family. Anything else in terms of recover, like sleep, like, are there other things that you're doing to that, that helps you stay consistent and perform at this level still? Um, do you sleep like a, an abnormally high amount of hours? Do you, is there anything else that comes to mind that you feel is like a weapon in your repertoire, you know, like just to, to give anyone some insight into how you've been able to pull this off. It's just amazing. If, if 
when I do my camps in the summer and I talk to people and, and maybe because we didn't sort of introduce it this way, if you, if you ask me what the 10 things I did, yeah, recovery, I would tell you number one, sleep, Brian, number two, mm-hmm. sleep, and number three, sleep. And then I get to all these other things we've talked about. Nice. <laughs> so I sleep eight to nine hours a night. Um, and that is what our body repairs, um, most efficiently. Um, and I also, and I, I, I poached this from East Africans actually originally in something I read, um, I eat before I go to bed. Um, and that didn't come easily at first. It was my, you know, I, it's been so long, but I think it was a little disruptive actually with my sleep or my stomach or whatever, but um, I eat, um, you know, um, I, you know, I, I take a Yukan bar, a little mix of some, you know, um, uh, protein, carbohydrate, um, again, protein, you know, muscle repair, um, sleep, um, not rolling over or waking up cause you're hungry. Um, and before you go to sleep and like when I go up to bed, I take a plate up. Um, I take a, I take a, a bar on an energy nutrition bar, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I take up some fruit, um, and I, while I'm reading in bed, so literally pretty much right before I go to bed. Wow. Um, And that, Gene, I was going to say, I think everyone aspires to, to get lots of sleep. They know it, but I know from my experience, it's hard to, to shut the brain off. Um, obviously being on Twitter 10 minutes before you go to sleep is not a way to, to get a quality sleeper fall asleep quickly, but what's the key? I feel like so many people struggle to get to bed early or fall asleep. You know, well, I mean, you hear that so often. The average person, you might be more inclined to, you know, maybe do that 30 or 60 minutes before you go to sleep. As I said, I think I've just trained my body. I, mm. But I think it also, you know, helps me in the morning, you know, because I haven't gone, you know, into some sort of, you know, 12 hour fasting yeah. um, state Um so, um, and, you know, if you look at, I know Sarah Hall does it, I, as I said, I, I originally got it from the East Africans. Um, I, it's, it's working for me. <laughs> um, I don't think it will hurt you, but it might be, it might be something that, you know, you took your body. I think you train you know, you train yourself to fitness, you train your gut on, and, you know, consistency in, in running and consistency in nutrition and consistency in sleep and consistency in strength training and, 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 and so forth and so on all, um, you know, adds up. Yeah. None of it's possible without consistent sleep, like at the point you made. Right. And, um, I think reading a book is great instead of most people are watching TV or they're on a device right before they go on, which is bad. Um, so let's, let's close with what, what's, what are the training goals at this point? It's such a weird, there's a lot of uncertainty, but what are you looking for? How are you guys looking towards um, later this year? And same for your athletes, you know, what are you, how are you directing them and what are you hearing as well? Um, I'm not really um, encouraged about, you know, big races um, yeah. at, at this point right now um, until they're, until everybody's vaccinated. Um, and I don't, you know, without getting into that, um, don't know how that's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Um I do, you know, we're hosting through McCurdy some, you know, very small regional um, events. You know, there are some smaller things, um, you know, coming back onto the calendar. Um, as it relates to myself, you know, I, I, I journal and look at, you know, goals, process, you know, performance and, and outcome. Um, I need to continue to work on my hamstring and that strength and more eccentric. Um, I need more exposure at threshold and interval intensity, longer, hmm. um, intervals at, at that. I need to, that's a, something I need to work on. Um, I need to work on running longer intervals also on a flat terrain. 
Um, I live in a rather, you know, I live in New England. It's it's rolly, it's hilly. And I, I found in, in the half marathon that I raced in November, well, it was a you know huge PR for me and it was it was great. Um I really struggled. It was so flat, Brian. Yeah. It's- and I, I struggled with sort of locking in without a give back. I don't, you know, I don't mm. race some of those flatter courses and I certainly don't train on I can't even find flat here. I don't run on the track. It it pulls and torques too much on me now at my age. Um so that you know, is something, and I'm, I'm willing, you know, where I raced is, but it's about 35 miles from me. And I just went out there on Sunday and I'm going to continue to do that, make the time on, you know, to go out and try and work on, you know, that, um, and, um, you know, see if I can get better there. Um, so, um, that's a great point about the flat. So many people say, Oh, it's flat. It's easy course. And they don't train for it. You know, I always say, like Chicago Marathon, and I work with a lot of runners in New York. So I, a lot of times I'll say, go run in Midtown at the end of your long run and just follow the green lights. Like there's so many turns. You need to you need to turn and get used to that when you're tired, you know. And and so a lot of people kind of miss that training for the course. But so that that was a big when you ran the one what was it one twenty seven right? Yep. Before. Um, that course was pancake flat, right? It was so flat. Yeah. It was so flat. And I, I held on, you know, f- for about 10 miles and, um, I just, you know, I think I lost my focus a little. It was, it was 60, it was a little too warm. Um, you know, James thinks that I went into some sort of cardiac drift. Maybe I was, my heart rate went really high right off the start. I don't know whether it was, I, I, I don't have anxiety. I don't have race anxiety. I don't have stress, but there was a lot of visibility on the, on that. Um, and, um, as I said, it was warm. I don't, I don't run warm. Well, um, and, um, you know, I ran Boston 2018 and loved it, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So most people won't say that I loved it. Um, so, you know, some of those things, but I think, you know, again, it, it to me, they're opportunities, you know, yeah. failure is where we grow. Um, and I'm not afraid of it. I, you know, I have these goals and maybe I will, and maybe I won't, but I, I, as I, as I said earlier in that note to James, you know, just keep, I'm going to keep trying. Um, and, um, I think that if you can, you know, again, I, I guess I, I think journaling is really important because it gives you the opportunity to sort of mm. go back and read and um, find patterning. Um, and, um, you know, and I think it's important always to look at your, and this is to answer, you know, on my, my athletes, we work on goals um, and um, we, we try to stay away from, I mean, we have some outcome goals, but work on the process. And, and I think the outcome will come out of that. Um, but to be able to reflect, I make them, you know, we talk about it. We meet, sometimes we talk on the phone. I make them write it um, because by writing or by saying things out loud, you own them a little bit more. Of course. Um, and, um, and, and then, you know, if you can go back, I think it's really important on race day, if your build didn't go right to go back and find that, you know, couple of workouts that really did go well. Um, I think it's important to write, you know, and, and reflect on your race. And, and I always ask my athletes what went right and what went wrong. That's great. Heather, thanks so much for sharing. Brian, it was so nice to catch up with you. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, we'll be cheering you on here. So um, excited to see what comes next. And uh, thanks for the the micro marathons that you guys are putting that on. I think anything we can do to help athletes keep them motivated during this time, because you're right, I don't, I don't see those big events happening later this year, but we'll see. Um, I think you guys also at VDOT, I mean, my athletes have loved being a part of your um your series and you know oh that's great time trials or you know um you know but you know we've had some virtual even some of my athletes here you know i've even you know measured out a course and they've 
you know, run on, you know, one at a time chasing each other. So <laughs> making it feel a little bit more race-like, but they've gone yeah. single file. Um, you know, we've done some of your 5Ks and 10Ks that way, which has been a, the hard thing, Brian, is finding, a, you know, a stretch where there aren't crossroads and danger zones and whatever when you're running yeah. that length of time, not on a, a on a real race. Um, and, you know, trials for miles in McCurdy, you guys, you know, I, I think you've all done a really great job in keeping people engaged and more people than ever are running. And I think you guys are part of it. Ah, uh, thank you. I think that's a good way to to look at it. More people are going to be engaged, and um, hopefully, the sport gets even bigger and more participation as a result of this. So we'll see. Um, but I'm positive and optimistic, like you, and I appreciate that. So thanks again, Heather. Okay, thanks, Brian. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.